0: The Letter That Changed the World, The Biblical Theology of Romans. This is part 31, and we're finishing up chapter 11. Chapter 11 is a tough chapter, it's, uh, but it contains a lot of stuff that you wouldn't deal with just in normal sermonic kind of preparation. It's good Bible study stuff, good theology in it, and good stuff for us to understand. Tonight, the title is The Depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, and that phrase comes right out of the text. I'm going to read Romans 11, starting at verse 24. He's still working that little analogy of this tree, the natural branches being God's old covenant with the Jewish people, and the uh, wild branches grafted in. That's us, Gentiles, the nations who have been grafted into the same covenant. Through God's mercy and grace. So that's, that's the image he's still picking up with. 11.24. For if you, this is Gentiles, were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. So wild branches from a wild olive tree cut off and grafted into a, one that would be in a vineyard. A cultivated olive tree. That's the Gentiles, been grafted in. How much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? That's the Jews who have fallen away because they didn't acknowledge Jesus, the Messiah. 25, lest you Gentiles be wise in your own conceits. I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. Partial hardening on the heart's has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, quotes, The Deliverer will come from Zion, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. The Deliverer from Zion is a prophetic statement about Jesus, the Messiah. 28. As regards the gospel, they, Jews, are enemies of God for your sake. And they, they, to this day, they reject Christ as the Messiah. Enemies of the gospel. But for your sake, Gentiles. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, the Gentiles, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, the Jews, so they, the Jews, so they too have now been disobedient in order that the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. He uses the disobedience and rejection of Christ of both Jew and Gentile To accomplish his purposes we'll look at that in a minute 33 and here it is oh the oh the depth it's deep oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways who could figure all this out For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Nobody gave God this idea. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. So we're finishing this wonderfully complex section of Romans, chapters 9 through 11. It's It's a grand sweep of God's work through history, through Jew and Gentile. Right from Abraham to today's newspaper. God means for us to view his sovereign work with an eye to his glory and greatness and mercy. Point number one. Paul tells us again that Israel's blindness to the truth is a result of the judgment of God. That's in the first part of verse 25 lest you also be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers, that a partial hardening has come upon Israel. And then, to remove all doubt as to what he means by that, Paul talks about the source of this judgment in Romans 11:8. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear. This is the same teaching as we looked at in Romans 9 about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. But it's not just this arbitrary work. When people reject, when people refuse to see what God provides, their own stubbornness, then God causes blindness to come upon them. He shuts their eyes to any truth that they pretend not to see. Did it with Pharaoh, does it with the Jews, he does it to this day. So we're reminded pretty forcefully that if grace is a wonderful thing to receive, it's a terrible thing to spurn. It's a terrible thing to ignore. It's, It's, let me urge you, when the Spirit of God speaks through His Word, never pretend you don't hear. That accelerates divine judgment in any area of life. When the Spirit of God speaks to you, never pretend you don't hear. You ever do that with a small child? They're doing something they're not supposed to do and you call them and you know they hear you. We do that sometimes when God speaks. Only here, only hear. what happens is God eventually will harden the heart of someone who pretends not to hear. There's judgment that gets attached to it. Okay, point number two. God's judgment upon the Jews is partial and it's temporary. I get that in the last part of 25. And then the first part of 26. Paul says. I want you to understand this mystery brothers. A a partial, partial. Hardening has come upon Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentiles. Has come in. And in this way all Israel. Will be saved. How is this going to work? And because Paul. Has already explained all this. He only mentions it here. But. But he feels it's worth one more look. And the mystery, that's what he calls it in verse 25, is that God used the rebellion of the Jews to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. You see that right in your New Testament as you read. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it. The Jews rejected their Messiah. And the gospel went to the Gentiles, to the nations. So you see, you see in God this, this incredible divine, sovereign dexterity. Then what he's going to do is use the conversion of the Gentiles. Eventually, Paul says he's going to use that to make the Jewish people jealous of God's grace in Christ, and he's going to draw the Jews back. The reason Paul calls this a mystery is that no one, apart from divine revelation, no one would think that There was any divine plan in the failure of the Jews to recognize Christ. It just looked like a big cosmic blunder. And no one would think that God would use the salvation of the Gentiles to supernaturally recall the Jewish people to himself. It's an incredible plan. We haven't seen all of that unfold yet, not all of it. We've only seen parts of this completion. We've seen the rebellion of the Jews. We've seen its ultimate manifestation. They crucified their Messiah. There has never been a more blatant turning away from God's grace than this. It was Israel's worst moment. It's what made Jesus, remember, it's what made him weep over Jerusalem. They killed the prophets, he said. There were striking consequences to their rejection of the Messiah. Paul said Israel was hardened until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Verse 26 of our text. Jesus talked about this in the parable of the tenants. Do you remember who killed the son of the owner? And then he summed it up this way. It's in Matthew 21. He says, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Okay, so the owner goes away, the vineyard. He keeps sending servants back, and they kill the servants. Finally, he sends his son back, and they kill the son. And so Jesus says in this parable, so what what will the owner, the owner, what's he going to do to these people? They said, well, he'll find other people for the vineyard. Then Jesus responds in 42. Jesus said to them, these Jewish leaders, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected, they rejected it. It's become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. 43. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be, speaking to the Jewish leaders, the kingdom of God, Jesus, says, will be taken away from you, taken away from you. That's what Paul's talking about. And given to a people, this is us, producing its fruits. That's exactly what Paul means in our Romans text when he says in 28, first part of verse 28, as regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for. Your sake. God's going to use their rejection for your sake. Or 1130 Just as you were at one time disobedient to God but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, God has sovereignly, mysteriously, majestically used the rejection of the majority of the Jewish people to bring the gospel of grace to the nations. There's more. Just as God used the rebellion of the Jews to bring grace to the Gentiles, here's what he's going to do. He will use mercy shown to the Gentiles to awaken faith in the hearts of the Jews. Paul talks about that in 26 and 27. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. That's the Messiah. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. There's sure a lot of mystery there. We're not told everything we'd like to know. But some things are clear. First, Paul is dealing with both Jews and Gentiles in a corporate sense rather than an individual sense. In other words, what I mean is when he says all Israel will be saved, I don't know that he means every single ethnic Jew on the planet any more than he... When he says salvation has come to the Gentiles, verse 11, he doesn't mean that all the Gentiles on planet Earth are going to be saved either. Second, I think the context makes clear that these Jews will be saved in exactly the same way we have been saved. A deliverer will come from Zion, 26 and 27. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. This will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God doesn't have two ways of taking away sins. He only has one way of taking away sins. There aren't two streams of salvation. He saves through Jesus. He's the deliverer. Third, while Paul is almost silent on this point, other texts seem to indicate that this salvation of Israel will take place suddenly and drastically at some kind of crisis point in history yet to come. The only real clue is 25. It's going to happen when the time of the Gentiles has come in. But there are some Old Testament verses. Is Zechariah 12, 10 in your notes? Okay. And I will will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on Me, on him whom they have pierced. So we know who we're talking about. Pierced. He's talking about Jesus, right? He's the one that had his hands and side pierced. They shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps over a firstborn. Or Isaiah 66, 8. Who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in a day? Do you see the suddenness of this? Something rather cataclysmic. Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Point number three. Both Jews and Gentiles in the Christian church must view their place vis-a-vis the other. In other words, see your place in history. Both Jew and Gentile. God's doing something. It isn't just random. There's a plan. Jewish and Gentile believers must view their place in relation to the other. What this does is it will kill pride in Gentiles. Don't boast. Don't think you're something special. And it will give hope to the Jews. As regards the gospel 28 to 32 of our text. They are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too now have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now rejoice in mercy. God has consigned all to disobedience. That's at different times, so that he may have mercy on all. 4. The only way true worship is born. I want to talk about this just for a minute. 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. These are cosmic plans, all the nations of the earth, the Jews, the Gentiles, all of history, from the covenant with Abraham to the new covenant that we celebrate tonight when we gather around the Lord's table. There's a a plan behind all of this. It didn't just happen. 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him. That about says it, eh? From him, to him, and through him are all things. To him be glory forever. Passage ought to surprise us, I think, a little bit. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. What, what, what happens? You've seen what these verses are like. They're dense. Verses. Every verse raises a dozen questions. And here's Paul with his quill scratching out in Greek, <laughs> scratching out these words in parchment. And, and, it's, and it's like he 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 stops. He's not in a church service. There's no worship music. And as he's scratching out these thoughts, would you think the first word would be oh Oh, I mean, it's really not a word at all, oh. There's no meaning attached to it all by itself. It doesn't mean anything all by itself. It doesn't describe anything specific. It's really, it's really an expression of something deeply felt. You, you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. You stand there looking at it with your mouth open. You go, whoa, Right? That's what O is. You suddenly catch the meaning of something that has puzzled you. You're working on a puzzle of some kind, and you see the answer. Oh! You can't remember somebody's name, and halfway through the conversation, you don't do it out loud, but inside you go, oh, yes, that's what that is. Oh, oh is your emotions trying to catch their breath. It's your your mind being suddenly stretched beyond what it can easily digest. It's, It's your soul pushing up through the soil. Paul says, oh, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Depth means you have to spend time with it. If you want to be a person of worship, it takes more than singing. Plumb the depths. Paul force feeds his mind with these deep involved truths. The last thing you might expect is the way it brings worship out of his heart. It's incremental and it's going to grow forever. History. The the the, the future of the Christian in the presence of God is going to be one long oh moment. I like this quote by Sam Storms. Listen to this. Is it in your notes? No? Yep. Okay. Listen. Whatever joy we experience in heaven will forever grow. Whatever pleasures we feel will forever deepen. We will never fully and finally arrive. As if once we have tasted such sweet delights, we will have exhausted their capacity to satisfy our souls. I like this. It will only get better forever. It will only get better forever. It's the opposite of life here, isn't it? I had a friend that used to tell me, nothing good happens to your body after 50. He was absolutely right. It doesn't just get better and better here. It actually fades a little bit. It's going to be completely reversed. It will only get better forever. It will only taste sweeter forever. It will only get more beautiful forever. With each joyful encounter, we will have touched only a small measure of an even greater, perpetual, infinite, eternal increase. No wonder from him and through him and to him Are all things to him be glory forever? Let's pray.